Good morning. Please join me in prayer. Holy God, we ask that you open up our hearts and minds to receive a new word from you this day that might show us how to love you more dearly, to see you more clearly, and to follow you more nearly. Amen. The scripture reading comes today from the Gospel of John. Please listen for a word from God. Beginning at chapter 11, verse 1, verses 1 through 6, and then picking up again in 17, verses 17 through 35. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, through, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. When he arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews has, had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
when Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man had, have kept this man from dying? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two years ago, this very week, I stood before you and I preached a sermon while I was a chaplain at Baptist Medical Center. My sermon had something to do with death, dying, and grief, which had been my experience over the summer. And my mother was there, sitting in the congregation while I preached, and she saw me for the first time preach, and it was one of my first times preaching. Later, um, less than two weeks later, I learned that my mother died unexpectedly, which punctuated my summer of death, dying, and grief, and also sent me, plunged me into a world of grief from which I have yet to fully return. I expected my mother to live well into her 80s, 90s, and maybe even to reach 100, which is what her mother, my grandmother, did. Expectations run high in this biblical narrative of John's. We are told early on in this passage that Lazarus was ill. It was emphasized that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus and was intimate with them. So when Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus about their brother's illness, it's reasonable to expect Jesus to have taken it as a word of urgent, you know, urgent, please come, and left sooner rather than later. Jesus had healed many people up to this point. He had performed miracles. He had taught. He had fed. So it's reasonable to think that he could heal Lazarus, the brother of his beloved family of friends. But there was no urgency for him to leave. He even sort of discounted Lazarus' illness, saying, this illness is not fatal. Rather, it's for God's glory, so the Son of Man might be glorified. Now, this is not a response that would have gone over well at Baptist Memorial Center, where I was a chaplain. When Jesus finally makes his way toward Bethany, Martha gets wind of it and sets out to meet him, leaving Mary and the other Jewish mourners at her home. And Martha, being Martha, was not afraid to speak up to Jesus when she finally reached him, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Clearly, Martha is bereft, disappointed, yet full of faith. 
Jesus responds, your brother will be lifted up, raised up. It's not exactly a consolation for her at that moment. So Martha understands that the resurrection is something that will happen on the last day, something that is in the future. And then Jesus brings it forward saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He explains to her the simple yet not easy to understand truth of who he is. Even if Martha doesn't fully understand, she says that she believes Jesus to be the Messiah. She cannot know as we do that things will turn out well for Lazarus, that he will be raised even a short distance from where she lives and moves at that time. But what about her grief? What about the grief of Mary, who is in line to visit and see Jesus next, for whom he sends after Martha um, and comes to him, falling at his feet, saying, again, the same lament echoed by her sister, Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. Martha and Mary would have felt affirmed and accompanied in their grief by members of the Jewish community who were openly grieved because we are all affected by one another's losses. But Jesus had no words at that point. Jewish mourners know how to care for members of their community. When I was searching for a template for grief after my mother and then my father died, I came up short when it came to the of a tradition through the Jewish faith community. That was just beautiful. The Jewish people, after their, the, a family member uh, of a loved one dies, they show up. And the Shiva, which is just after the burial of the deceased, it's a seven-day Jewish grief ritual in which the Jewish community shows up at the home of the deceased, bringing food often, prepared food, where they just sit. The persons who are mourning sit on stools, and they, and they just wait with one another in the grief. The Jewish mourners who show up to support those who are, have lost their loved one do not say much. They do not offer words of consolation or comfort. They allow those who are grieving to grieve. <laughs> they, they, they often just sit quietly and wait for stories to be told as they come forth from those who are mourning and, and mourn with them and their tears are joined together, creating a really beautiful bond. Jewish mourners um, have a whole year of rituals where they pray and practice different ways of remembering the one who died and also remembering those who grieve. Jewish mourners knew what they were doing when they sat with Mary and Martha and the death of their beloved friend Lazarus and brother. Even the first year after which there is a memorial service to honor the deceased on their death date. There are 
there are annual remembrances of the people who have died and meant so much to those who mourn. But feelings of grief are not only prompted by the death of a loved one, or death in general. Melissa Kelly writes in her book entitled Grief, loss, not death, is the normative metaphor for understanding those experiences in human life that produce grief. Losses experienced by people today are numerous. The losses felt by those who are homeless, health compromised, and who already suffer from systematic injustices are affected most acutely. It's important to remember and to honor the losses incurred by people throughout history. Native Americans, for example, first settled the land on which we now live and had good reason to mourn when the Indian Removal Act was passed in the 1830s. This act forced Native American nations to move off of the lands that they loved, that they cultivated, that they nurtured, on which they created cultures that had been in place for generations and generations. Native Americans, nations all over this country were torn from their homelands only because white European settlers wanted the land for themselves, felt entitled to it. The Trail of Tears initially referred to the Cherokee Nation who settled in the Southeast. Some 20,000 Cherokee people were physically forced out of their homes and off of their land to travel 900 or more miles to Oklahoma, the land the government gave them, which was far less desirable far from any quality health care, decent schools, and even running and clean drinking water. Many white settlers lined up to watch these Native American people as they left their homes in tears, wailing and wondering why. <clears throat> And the Trail of Tears marks the tears of those who wailed and wept for loss of their land and what they knew as a way of life. Some, however, chose not to weep, not wanting to give the white settlers the satisfaction of seeing them at their most vulnerable. Approximately 4,000 <coughs> or more Cherokee people and numerous other Native Americans who were forced from their lands all over the nation died because of the harsh conditions on which they were endured, which they endured during their travels north. <clears throat> Some Native Americans today continue to live in poverty and work in compromised places where they are susceptible to contract the COVID virus. And in fact, many of the Native American people who um, are located in these remote places have suffered the most losses. Grief is sometimes marked by prolonged and severe distress. Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. <clears throat> but Jesus did not prevent Lazarus from dying. Jesus did not stop Martha and Mary from uttering their grievances, from registering their despair and their disappointment in him. And Jesus did not stuff or suppress the grief that rose up in him when he saw Mary weeping and the Jews who were with her weeping. The text says that Jesus was greatly disturbed and moved in spirit. Biblical scholars debate what exactly brought Jesus to tears. Was it Jesus grieving over the death of Lazarus, who he was going to raise? Was it Jesus grieving over the reality of death, over his approaching death, or over the anger he felt because of his closest friend's lack of trust in him? Grief is complicated and compounded often by the expectations we place on ourselves and on one another. And I cannot help but wonder if the weight of the words of Martha and Mary and the tears that were shed and the Jewish community gathered together because of a death he could have prevented stirred in him the need to express his own tears, to unburden himself of some of the guilt and the grief that he was carrying. Maybe he just needed a good cry. Jesus, unable and maybe unwilling to suppress the tears that rose up in him, began to weep openly, publicly, with a community of people that honored, encouraged his grief to be expressed. Several years ago, I attended the funeral service held for the father of a friend of mine. My friend Barbara had cared for her aging father for months, and I knew it had taken a toll on her and been a difficult journey. I didn't know her father personally. In fact, I'd never met him before. But I felt compelled to attend the service to support her in her grief and to honor her father. The service was held at a funeral home across town in this city. Soon after the service began and remembrances were shared, Barbara stepped behind the lectern to speak. She shared stories of how her father had been a fierce civil rights activist in the civil rights movement. She told of how they, as a family, participated in peaceful protests and marches while she and her sister were growing up. Barbara's father taught she and her sister to be proud of who they were, to stand up for what was right, and to work for justice for all. And at some point during her speech, I felt my chest tighten. My throat began to close, and my eyes filled with tears. Try as I may, I was unable to stop the torrent of tears that came sliding down my face. This went on for several minutes until a box of Kleenex eventually appeared in front of me, handed to me by one of the funeral assistants, and for which I was very grateful at the time. 
Grief is complicated, unpredictable, but apparently necessary to express and in order to heal, to be relieved, to be restored. My spirit was moved for a man I did not even know, for a man that was a troublemaker, a justice warrior, a truth teller. The truth of his life testified and touched to the truth that lay hidden deep down inside of me, a truth I needed to hear, to know, to see, and to mourn. Grief is hard, relentless, and sometimes ruthless. Grief is not something that can be forced. It often shows up unexpectedly, but somehow right on time. I'm learning that grief is not a problem to be solved, but an emotion to be expressed. The simple yet succinct sentence that appears at the center of this text, Jesus wept in the original translation, is memorable, powerful, and human. I don't know about you, but I need a Jesus with whom I can identify, one that shows his messy human side, one who continues to walk, be it ever so slowly, toward the discomfort, misunderstanding, and the pain of grief often brought on by injustices. I need a Jesus who is disturbed in spirit, who is troubled and who makes trouble. I need a Jesus who can lean into the conflict of his own emotions and stand in solidarity with others and theirs. I need a Jesus whose tears are hard to express, but who expresses them anyway. I need a Jesus who gets angry, feels guilty, remorseful, fearful, and grief-stricken. I need a Jesus who not only teaches, heals, and feeds people, but who is willing to be taught, fed, and healed. I need a Jesus who is sometimes distant, but who goes the distance. I need a Jesus who does not turn away from, but who leans into and learns what it means to be human, to live in relationship, and to show me that it's okay not to be okay. I need a Jesus who is willing to be questioned, queered, and criticized. I need a Jesus who is willing to be condemned for a death that he did not deserve, but that he did not prevent. I need a Jesus who is the resurrection, whatever that means, who lives in me and who lives in each one of you. Grief is not the end, but it may be the means by which we are restored, repaired, and ultimately resurrected in this life and in the next. In this story, Jesus needed to reckon and wrestle with his humanity and all of its messiness, as well as with his divinity. To grieve is to be alive. 
to express grief is part of the healing process. It comes up alongside us to help us live what is ours to live, but doesn't tell us who is wrong, who is saved, and who should suffer. Loss and grief are part of life, part of what it means to be human, part of, part of what it means to love and to be loved. Martha, Mary, and the Jewish mourners paint for us a picture of how we can care for our grief and for one another in solidarity and sadness and in the hope of the resurrection. Let us go and do likewise. Amen.